everyone, and welcome to the Modern CFO Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Seske. Today, we have a slightly different episode for you, a conversation between Matt Wenzing, founder and CEO of Summit, and Ends Round Zone, head of product, Stuart Balcom. We're going to be discussing the way software for CFOs is adapting to the challenges of the subscription economy. So stay tuned. Today, I'm joined by Matt Wensing, the CEO and founder of Summits. Matt, I know we've been, we've been talking a little bit off, uh, offline up there, but thanks so much for joining me. And like maybe to just sort of dive right in with, with some of these big questions that you know, we're going to kind of unpack. Uh, sure. Sort of a little bit of background on Summit as a product and sort of how did you start building a product in this space? Yeah. No, happy to. So I... I'm a serial entrepreneur. I was actually thinking the other day, technically, this is the fourth <laughs> company that I've tried to start. First one was in college and went nowhere. Second one was shortly after and uh, went a little bit farther. The third business was a startup I began in 2000 and they started working on 2004 and it exited in 2019. So it was a 15 year journey. And as you can imagine, along the way, I really came across a number of moments where having a good financial model was required for a transaction or just operating the business. And I will never forget the person who asked me a question that was an extremely fair question, but I wasn't able to answer. And that was this, hey, Matt, it looks like you're going up market uh, with your product. We were SaaS and we were becoming an enterprise SaaS. And the simple question was, if your sales cycles extend from what they are today, which is approximately 30 to 60 days, let's say, to 90 to 120 days, what's that going to do to your business? <laughs> what's that going to do to your capital needs, to your hiring plan, et cetera? And I remember thinking, you know, that's really smart. You know, he's seeing a trend, which is sales cycles are extending and he's buying into it, which is what I want him to do as a founder. <laughs> but he's then saying, okay, so if that's true, then what? And I remember going back to my Excel-based model and realizing that in order to answer that question accurately, it wasn't going to be simple. I couldn't just delay receivables. I couldn't just change the pipeline. It was like so many things about the business needed to change to capture that distended <laughs> sales cycle. And it just occurred to me as I was going through that, that, wow, this is extremely painful, but an extremely smart question. And it's kind of crazy that in order to answer this, I'm going to have to spend hours and hours back in Excel, probably rebuilding most of this because whether it's because I was just wrong or stupid or amateur, whatever it was, even though I'd been running a SaaS business for at that point, almost 10 years, I was going to have to spend days, you know, figuring this out. And it just, it was crazy to me that it was going to require the level of effort. So I kind of went to the drawing board and started writing some Python code because I'm a full stack developer by trade. And the Python code started giving me answers really fast, but not robust from a financial model standpoint. And I just kind of put it on the shelf of my mind and said, you know, one of these days, if this is still a problem or if this is still difficult, maybe I'll come back to it. <laughs> and so in uh, 2019, when, my, uh, when that business was being acquired, I kind of asked around looking for my next thing I was going to work on. And I said, you know, is this solved? And everyone was like, no, that's still something I do. And uh, it's something I still struggle to answer. I can't answer that. It's a complete pain. Here's my model. I'm embarrassed about it. And I can't answer questions like that easily. I was like, huh, all right, well, that's the next thing. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where I started in 2019 with this. Nice. Yeah, it's sort of experience the pain yourself. And it sounds like one of those problems, like you mentioned, that sort of 
seems like there should be an obvious solution. Like, why has nobody fixed this yet? Yeah, I have theories on that. I'll share like in brief, I think it's because robust models tend to only be built by people who have stable businesses, which if you think about it is actually like the time when that robustness and flexibility, yes, it's always nice to have scenario planning, et cetera, but the early stage folks where things are changing rapidly, you're sort of the least likely to have both the know-how and the model to support that level of interrogation, right? Which is, it's sort of a catch-22 then, right? Like it's the most needed because you have the most volatility in your business, but you're also least likely to have access to that capability. Right. And I guess it's also the time when you're capable just by sort of size and agility of the business to make a change that significantly impacts the model. Yeah, exactly. But again, least likely to know how to reflect that. <laughs> yeah. So I know and I want to get into, you know, talking about the CFOs and the, the sort of the folks in the space, and the, the customers of Summit who you've been talking to for you know, going deep on this, this sort of problem space with. But the, the H1 on your, your website so tell your forecasting spreadsheet, you're never getting back together again. And I know you mentioned it's such a great headline. It certainly still has <laughs> some, uh, some reaction, right? Yeah. I know you mentioned that you were doing all this in Excel, right? Which I think most would agree is sort of the staple for folks oh, yeah. doing financial modeling, figuring out sort of the, mechanic, the financial mechanics of the business. Mm-hmm. So what does that mean that, what, like, how does that headline play against an industry or a group of people who are sort of so firmly tranched in a particular tool? Yeah, um, I think it comes down to this. I believe (laughs) that all of our relationships with Excel, and I'll say all with an asterisk because I always want to leave room for exceptions, but I don't want to hedge this too much because I'm very, very, feel very passionate about this after all the conversations uh, and research. All of our relationships with Excel and spreadsheets are love-hate it's not love, love. (laughs) And what that means is you are in a relationship with a tool that both simultaneously delights you and simultaneously frustrates, disappoints you, and in some cases betrays you (laughs) when you want it to support you and have your back, right? And so there's this love-hate dynamic. And because of that, I think the H1 there that says, tell your forecasting spreadsheet, you're never getting back together. It's really directly appealing to the fact that I know that you know that it's not all love all the time. <laughs> and you've had your moments, maybe not today, but in the recent past and definitely in history where you've thought about burning it down and starting again. And maybe you've gone through that cycle a few times. And in that sense, it's not a stable relationship. And it's one that you maybe should you know, entertain the idea of breaking up with Excel and for all these reasons. And so I really want to capture the emotional energy that I think is in a lot of us. And if you're really, really skilled at it, then you have higher highs, but you might have lower lows. So I I don't think the hate part goes away. (laughs) Good example of that is uh, I talked to an expert, absolute expert at Excel. But even they said the worst thing in the world is when someone turns to them and says, hey, um, I've actually put in my two weeks. Here's the sheet I've been building and managing. I need you to take it over. And I don't care how experienced you are with Excel or spreadsheets, you cannot escape the fact that the way other people use it is quite possibly not at all in line with the way you use it, the way you want to use it. And so there's that hate right back in. You're going, wait a minute, no, I'm I'm an absolute black belt at this. Well, yeah, but they're a black belt too, but in a completely different style of martial arts. <laughs> and so they've just handed you a whole bunch of Kung Fu that doesn't 
you don't even understand it. You know, it, it doesn't make sense to you. And and so what is that? What's going on there, right? Like in that, that is at a mature business that is supposedly world experts at this stuff, you still find hate, right? And so what I'm really leveraging is not just the emotional hate, but I'm drilling down into what is broken about this, like deeply, deeply broken. And so I ended up developing several theories about what is unavoidably broken about spreadsheets. <laughs> and I've said with this product, how could I reapproach this problem space in a way that really fixes those fundamental flaws in the relationship? <laughs> That's the idea. Right. Yeah. No, that I love the the both the deep emotional connection, but also the sort of this relationship that you have is evolving and is, you know, there are things that are great about tools that you can do anything with, right? And that's part of that beauty is that you can use it for this task over here or that task over there. But there's a cost and a sort of a debt that comes with doing that, right? Yeah. So I'm curious for, from your perspective, designing and building Summit, how do you sort of rationalize that? Can you still use this task over here and that task over there? Or mm. do you have a pigeonhole to this is a tool that has guardrails, but it's for this more narrow case? Yeah. I mean, Excel, and I'll just start saying Excel and spreadsheets interchangeably, no disregard for Google Sheets. Uh, but it's the Swiss Army knife of business applications and programming, as we all know. It's the most popular you know, tool for that, a billion users worldwide at least. That's daunting from my perspective of saying, how am I going to make a dent in that? And why am I going to make a dent in that? Is it just because I want people to use my tool instead? And I think there's definitely a cycle to that relationship that people have with spreadsheets to, <laughs> to I'll continue the metaphor, to flirt with other tools. And I've, I've had these conversations with both novices and experts, and they all say the same thing. Yeah, I tried this SaaS tool, which promised that I would be able to get away from spreadsheets, but I ended up going back. <laughs> and here's why. And it's, slightly different manifestation, but it's always the same reason. There's some habit that they regress to. And when I did my sort of in terms of rationalizing this in terms of my approach, when I listened really carefully, what I ended up realizing was spreadsheets is a programming environment, not a database. And I think the the approach that you choose to take when you're attempting to replace a spreadsheet has to take a position on that. Am I going to replace this programming environment with this language, if you will, <laughs> with a SaaS tool, which is effectively a product. And I am the only one who can improve that product. My team improves that product, works on that product, launches features. I'll tell you when the feature is ready, Mr. Customer <laughs> uh, or Mrs. Customer. Or am I going to take a platform language approach and say, I'm actually going to build a better programming environment that enables you to do everything that you can do today, but better. And not a lot of people have taken the second approach. I mean, if you go back to like the early days, Lotus 123 was the incumbent <laughs> and Excel took that incumbency away, but they didn't do it by launching an, a product or an app. They did it by launching a bona fide replacement for spreadsheets and have import export capabilities to and from Lotus. And that was a very smart move is the only way to really beat it at its own game. And I think for Summit, I've also chosen to say, I've chosen an approach of building a, a better language, a better programming environment for financial modeling, as opposed to just a product. Because I don't think you can build, you can't beat a language with a product. <laughs> you can only beat a language with a better language. Right. So, so that sort of brings, 
right to the question that I, I really wanted to ask. I'm excited about. So Excel is obviously is the incumbent, has you know, as you mentioned, more than a billion users uh worldwide, has been around for you know what seems like forever and sort of the de facto solution for this, right? So why now? Why the need for like how's this love-hate relationship with Excel always existed? Mm. Or do you are you seeing trends and seeing in your conversations, are you seeing people talk about new things that are sort of outside of the scope of the Excel language as you describe it? Yeah, I think there's at least two that I want to point out. There's always change. You know, we could sit here and talk about, you know, the world at large. Let's talk about sort of what's happened in the last maybe 30 years. So the internet has this fundamental principle of decentralization and collaboration. And I think that spreadsheets, even if you do synchronous sharing with something like, you know, Google Sheets or Office 365, it still has that property of, I believe, the more valuable a spreadsheet is to an individual, the less valuable it is to the group. Because so much individualism, idiosyncratic statements, <laughs> dialects of ways of doing things, structures that are unique to my mental models, they all get infused into the sheet. <laughs> and that puts that sort of anything goes approach to development at odds with the internet itself in terms of collaboration and protocols that interoperate with one another. Like you've literally created a lot of impedance <laughs> around this very valuable asset to where Stuart can't immediately come in and understand what I've done, right? Because I've invested so much into it. <laughs> and it's this cruel irony that the more I invest into it, the worse it gets for you. And that is fundamentally at odds with a world where you and I have an easier time than ever working together even though we're separated by thousands of miles. The fact that this paradigm is not supportive of that or conducive to that, or it's against the grain of that is just flawed. That's a fatal flaw, right, in my opinion. So that's pressure, right? And I think we initially started to see that pressure with Google Sheets saying, oh, look, collaboration, right? And then Excel going, okay, we need to become collaborative too, right? But that hasn't gone away and I don't think it's been solved yet at a deeper level. The other thing is the subscription economy which I believe has put a lot of pressure on a need for standardization of certain representations within financial models. So cohorts, retention, subscriptions, and plans, and tiers, and pricing, and all of these, so much economic activity now is, is centered around subscription revenue. And the fact that, of course, you can create subscription revenue in Excel but the fact that it's so hard to properly model cohort-based retention <laughs> and retention analysis in a spreadsheet, call it a difficulty level of 50, <laughs> there's pressure for it to become a five because there's 10 times more of that, a thousand times more subscription revenue activity going on in the world than there was 30 years ago. So the fact that that's difficult and the fact that it's difficult to get that correct and accurately, there's additional pressure to get to improve that. And so people are coming in early days and saying, I want to know my retention on a cohort basis. <laughs> I want to know my, I don't want to use 8% gross churn month over month to my existing revenue. I realize that's not how it works. I want to stratify my subscriber base. I want to see upsells and expansion revenue, all these things. And of course you can leverage templates, but I mean, we all know how many cells it is to, app to capture retention properly in that sophisticated way in a spreadsheet. <laughs> and it's thousands of cells, not two. And so that's another one. And then the last one is, I also believe that in the financing space, in the funding space, what are we seeing? We're seeing 
yes, we're seeing large Series A's, large seed rounds, and more more capital than ever entering venture. I also think in parallel with funds like IndyVC, Tiny Seed, Earnest Capital, Lighter Capital, there's a long list now of funds and firms who are actually looking for, they're looking for financially sound invest. They're not just looking for unicorns. They're not just looking for, of course, they want unicorns. That's great. But they're actually very happy with what they call the long SaaS ramp, right, of growth. And they're looking for this at very early stages, right, to make loans, to make investments with maybe even revenue-based returns. So the IRR is great, but they need to look at your business at a much earlier stage than ever before and make a decision not just based on the founders and the hotness of the market or the markup potential, (laughs) but they want to make a decision based on the things we just talked about, which is how sound and strong is your business financially? And that means that founders and early stage operators are being asked to produce models that are much more rigorous, much earlier in their life cycle than they did 10, 20 years ago. To get that $300,000 loan for a business doing $300,000 a year in revenue, you need to present something that has you know, accurate cash flow, top line and, bottom, and expense forecasting for two years. And it used to be okay to go into a room with a whiteboard and come out with a hockey stick and say, here's my projections. But somebody who is underwriting you on a more on a more traditional basis, and I'm not saying traditional basis, but a more traditional basis, is going to look at that hockey stick and say, right, no, that's not actually the answer I'm looking for. I'm looking for realistic assumptions, realistic output, so that I can feel comfortable that I'm going to at least get my 300000 back without an exit, you know, and I'm loaning you this money, right? And that is a really exciting market. And I think like another good example is Pipe who some folks may have heard of, Harry Hurst and company, they are turning subscription revenue into an asset class. And they're not going to be the only ones that do this. So and ClearBank as well. That is a, as I like to tell ClearBank and Pipe, you know, every time you tell one of your customers or would-be prospect or prospects or would-be customers that they need to show you their retention or show you their subscription revenue in this rigorous way, you're driving demand for my product <laughs> because they're not going to go hire a CFO to do that, but they need to do that. And so some tool needs to come in, some language needs to come in and provide these answers. So there's three massive trends who are all converging right now. And we didn't even get into FinTech (laughs) with its APIs is extremely conducive now to being able to do this kind of analysis quickly compared to where it was (laughs) pre-plaid, you know, pre-Codet, et cetera. So it's a wonderful time to have these needs, but then because you can meet those needs with aggregate data sets that can answer these questions. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And there's obviously there's the convergence and the sort of the intersection of these things is where where the big opportunity is, right? And and I'm curious to hear from you. I know you mentioned sort of briefly there that like a founder who maybe is uh, looking to to raise fin- financing or you know all these tools that are looking to sort of plug into the uh, the founder ecosystem to build build funds. How do you rational or how do you sort of think about the the trend or the I guess the journey from you know founder who maybe doesn't have a CFO, it doesn't have a financial background, uh, but needs access to clear and accurate data to present, all the way up to you know obviously huge companies who have many people who need access to Excel and have these stable financial models. Like that's a pretty mm-hmm. broad uh, swath of the market. What, yeah. What do you say, like how do you take people along on the journey? Yeah. So definitely 
it is a huge swath. There's a couple of patterns that I've noticed, and I'm sure that folks that serve clients like this have seen this before as well. People that come and say, I'm breaking up with my spreadsheet and I want you to, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. I don't want to do this, but I have to. Can you do it for me? Regardless of the tool you're using, you might replace it with your own models or approaches. They've reached a breaking point for some reason. And what's really interesting to me is that that breaking point is not highly correlated with the stage of company. I'd say it's loosely. What it's much more correlated with is the maturity of the founding team in terms of their experience set. Second time founder, third time founder, fourth time founder, much more likely to go there sooner, not surprisingly. So I've, you know, second time founders will approach this problem very differently from day one, the same way that they approach cap tables very differently from day one. <laughs> it's not good enough to be in a spreadsheet on my laptop. I want Carta or captable.io or whatever it is. So there's that lessons learned that comes in. The other dimension that I find very uh, <laughs> ironic, perhaps, is it depends how long they've been able to get away with it, right? So financial discipline is really a, it's a health it is a discipline and discipline's not a fun word or a fun thing per se, unless you make it fun and certainly we can try. But there are companies who are doing tens of millions in revenue that I've spoken to who have gotten to where they are without doing anything close to what I've seen companies doing at a tenth of that size because growth has been phenomenal. <laughs> you know, until now, nobody's even worried about these things, right? And what you see there is that everybody hits this asymptote at some point on their growth. And that asymptote is painful relative to the number of ideas that the founder has left in terms of how to break through. <laughs> so if they hit that asymptote and the founder goes, oh yeah, but we haven't launched X yet. Well, they go launch X and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. But when they get to the point where they're at an asymptote and the founder is no longer confident that like if they turn this dial, they're going to get... <laughs> more growth, then you really find this point of, I need to understand the levers in my business because apparently I don't anymore. Like I thought that if I raised prices on this thing, it would do this. I thought if I invested more in marketing, I would get this result. And what they're finding is they're pushing down in the accelerator and the car's not going any faster. <laughs> and I think they're scared in a way and they, they wouldn't necessarily confess that publicly, but that is a scary point to get to when you're in a board meeting and you really don't know for sure <laughs> that pressing on this is going to yield a result next year or next quarter because, and you don't know why, right? So I think, you know, this is a growth and founders and startups are all very intertwined. And so the, the stage at which they switch varies, but a lot of it has to do with acknowledgement that I no longer understand my business sufficiently well. <laughs> and therefore I need a model of it that is in many ways smarter than me, that I can ask it questions and it tells me things that I didn't know before, <laughs> as opposed to that early stage of, I'll tell this spreadsheet what growth I'm going to get. <laughs> it's literally the opposite mindset of a mature you know, approach to this. So that's just what I've observed. And I'm not sure if I actually addressed your original question, but that's sort of I'm seeing in terms of product user fit, if you will. Yeah, I think that's, it makes me sort of, well, brings me back to that earlier point that you made about the difference between a database and a language, right? Mm -hmm. A database can't answer questions for like it can only it only has the input that you give it. It's just a store, right? Whereas a language is two way, right? Like you use a language yes. to communicate, you use a language to have a conversation, yeah. And it's just a tool 
to get an output, to get a different output. Right? That's right. So I think that's really interesting that that is this sort of next level of tooling when you mentioned as the founders sort of reach that sticking point is we need something different that takes a yeah. different approach yes. um, to what we have. Yeah, and you need to install you need to install essentially the physics that exists in the real world that they can't escape but isn't in their model yet. Like the market isn't just infinitely growing. <laughs> you know, your conversion rate isn't going to stay the same. The cost of acquiring customer isn't going to stay constant. You know, all of these realities that you don't have to ins- really accept if you can do anything, right? I think installing those realities, the in some sense, the unwelcome work of a financial expert, but it's what allows you to then break through and go, oh, now I see what I need to do. And I think founders, to their credit, realize this many times. I think the other counterintuitive thing is that most founders are... When I ask them, okay, I want to help you get set up in this new environment, go ahead and send me the spreadsheet or model you use today. A surprising number of reactions are, do I have to? Because um, the one I have today is kind of an embarrassment. I'm not really proud of it in any... And it's funny because, wait wait a minute, isn't the one... I don't really ask them this this way, but it's like, this is the one you've been using to make decisions, right? (laughs) And it's sort of this confessional moment of, yeah, but I'm in, I'm truly embarrassed by it. And you're like, wow, that is a lot of, there's a lot of need there. Sort of the dentist asking you if you've been flossing kind of moments. <laughs> and all you know to say is like, I hope my x-ray is uh, better than I think it's going to be, you know, in terms of all the problems I have. And I think that also is surprising to me because I think a lot of folks, when I launched this company and I was raising capital for it, a lot of people seem to insist that there's only the love part, only this positivity, confidence, et cetera, because it's my model and I built it. And a lot of people build things and step back and go, Ugh, you know, actually not a very good architect. <laughs> Turns out this treehouse is pretty messed up, but um, it's the best I could do. And, and I think that is where, that's that moment of honesty where I find people willing to switch. Right, yeah. And that sort of makes sense. Like in the, maybe in the treehouse example, right? Like you, you can build a treehouse that's maybe a little scrappy, maybe it's a little wonky, but it stands up. But if you want to yeah. put an extension on the treehouse. Yeah. Right, exactly. so... I, I'm curious, like you mentioned people sending you spreadsheets that they maybe are not, do not see as their finest work, perhaps, that yeah. they're using. But what does the breakup process look like? Like breakups, uh, you know, can be painful, can be liberating, can be like, yeah. what is actually switching? What does it take from a like effort and like uh, investment mm. perspective? And then mm-hmm. how does it work? Yeah, I think you really need to get back to what is the job that this artifact is here to do? to serve? What is the need that it's meeting? And it could be, let's say it's transactional, right? That's on one hand. I need this for a 409A. I need this for a fundraise. I need this for a loan. I need this for a, am I going to be in business in a year? Okay. It's sort of a one-time exercise. On the other side, maybe it's operational and it's, I need to show something to my board, et cetera. You start there, but then the next level down is, okay, if that's the case, you've got revenue forecasting, you've got expense forecasting, you've got cash flow. What is the need you're serving. And it's surprising. A lot of founders are only interested in one, two of those, rarely all three. And it changes at different stages. So the breakup process in that sense is oftentimes, hey, um, I'm going to send you a spreadsheet. It's got 11. It's got 11. I'm going to send you a workbook. It's got 11 worksheets in it. Really, I only need two of them. The other nine are there to support my you know, this other thing, which is not really important. Like, this is what matters. And so you end up, in many cases, I tell people, um, we're going to go ahead and just burn down or ignore this 80%. And 
they're fine with that actually because they go, oh yeah, that was the cavity anyway, or that was the moldy board anyway. I wasn't really confident in that. And I'm going, wow, this is amazing because if you looked at this and you just squinted and you didn't know that, you think all these numbers and formulas and everything are actually really accurate and important. And within usually a couple conversations, they tell me, no, I, you can go ahead and just replace that. I'm not really sure that that has any value. That's noise, basically. <laughs> it's noise. And it goes to show how little confidence people have in forecasts, right? Because they just go ahead and say, that's noise. You know, it's what that model produced. But I have no reason to believe that those numbers are more accurate than what your model produces, right? And so what we really end up focusing on is the, the actuals that go in, because we want those to be clean, of course, and then the assumptions that the rest is based on. And Summit is a very, the approach that it takes in terms of how it's built is it's not built row by row, column by column, it's built event by event. And what that allows me to do is have a much more natural conversation with the founder or the leadership team or the finance person and say, tell me about the business. And you know, what's really, I've learned is that I really believe that founders are expert modelers, but they freeze up and they're not all great when you put a spreadsheet in front of them. But if I just said, tell me about your business. Oh, well, I'm launching this new product. It's probably going to be priced at this and I'm going to upsell people like this. And we're going to go to these conferences and you could just tell me about your business all day long. I mean, that's literally what you love to do more than anything else in the world. It's just that it's unfortunate that a spreadsheet stares at you with a blank field going, no prompts, no structures, no anything, and just says, fill me. And oh, by the way, if you put in the wrong number and you label it wrong in the left, somebody who knows more than you is actually going to swatch your hand or lecture you or make you feel bad for being stupid because you are not, clearly you're not thinking, you're not an accountant, you're not a bookkeeper, you're not a CFO. And so the blankness of it and the existing structure of the P&L view of it sort of forces founders to, it sets them up for failure in terms of describing their business. Because not only are they going to not finding a way to describe it in the natural sense, they also know that as soon as they start describing it that way, somebody's going to come along one day and slap their wrist for doing it wrong. So it's extremely antagonistic, right? But then I get in Summit and I say, okay, tell me, how do you acquire customers? Oh, we have organic leads. Oh, about how many per month? And I just sort of begin to build the model component by component they just are in their happy place suddenly, (laughs) you know? And then when you say, here's the thing, it's really interesting about this is that if we capture all of your activities, if we capture all of your pricing plans and your subscriptions and your acquisition funnels, we can hit a button and a computer can generate the P&L view. (laughs) We just need the activities from you. It's this moment of joy where they go, wait a minute, I can just come back in to this little one thing and change this number and then I can hit rebuild and the spreadsheet builds itself in a way that means I'm not going to embarrass myself when I show it to those people, (laughs) but I can express myself in a way that I, oh my gosh, and it basically becomes their Molsky notebook at that point. It's like all those thoughts and jots and scribbles that they think about all the time now have a place to express themselves. And there's nobody looking over their shoulder. There's no future person looking over their shoulder who's going, that's not recognized revenue yet. (laughs) It's like, they don't want to think about that, right? That's not what they want to think about. They want to think about the next hire, the next product, the next conference. And that's what Summit does. It lets them express themselves in a way that's natural for them. Yeah, I love that, that it's sort of the conversational approach to 
to finance, right? Like you, and which can, again, back to this language versus the database. Like if you can help people express themselves in terms they already understand and just do the conversion on the back end, like perfect. Right, right. We talk for, for hours about this. We may have to do a part two. Um, <laughs> sure. But yeah, this has been really awesome. I can't wait to keep talking about this. Um, Great. But for those people who, you know, ready to break up with a spreadsheet, uh, yeah, <laughs> currently in the the more hate than love side of the uh, side of the cycle. Where do they go to get this? Get to the happy place. To get to this this good feeling with their projections. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I hope they can come to usesummit.com, and they can also find us on Twitter at usesummit or Matt Wensing. And I'm happy to help. You know, we're very early stage. We're doing onboarding for folks who want help, and that's just part of the process. So very friendly and, and conversational in that sense. And, you know, it's a free approach. It's a freemium approach. So we actually have many hundreds of companies and users who are just using the free version of the product. So it's really no risk. And I should also say that where we are today as a product and as a business is really a, think of it as a bucket of Legos that we're handing you and saying, here's a bucket of Legos. You can probably build your house out of these, but if you can't, let us know. Where I want to go over the next 12 months is actually allowing our own users to design their own Lego pieces. And therefore, there's really no end. You know, whatever they can imagine, they can do. And that's fully possible within Summit. It's just uh, we kind of had to start somewhere and say, okay, here's the yellow, red, and blue blocks, and there's there's two by twos and four by ones and <laughs> and all of that. And you know, that's the whole eighty twenty thing. But I really I'm excited about over the next twelve months, essentially opening up the factory and saying, hey, if you need a pirate hook, you can fabricate one. You know, <laughs> it's it's whatever you need, and that's really our approach. And so so it's a metaphor for where we want to go is that. We want building blocks built by professionals that anybody can use to build a model, right? And uh, I think that's the future because it's going to accelerate all of those. It's going to allow the creation of models to accelerate right along with all those trends we talked about earlier. Well, Matt, thank you so much for doing this. Like I said, I'm sure we'll have to have a, a part two. Um, thank you, Stuart. It's been awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me.